this morning. Chains in every knee will bow before. 
every song we could ever sing Worthy of every praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you
Amen. As David said, I'm going to ask you to open in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and uh, Luke, chapter 7, is where we'll be at today. We'll spend most of our time in Luke 7, but I want to start in John, chapter 1, and I want to look at a contrast of a man called John the Baptist. And I want to look at two different seasons in his life, um, and, and just look at the, 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 the contrast between those two seasons. So notice in John, chapter 1, and can we, I know we just prayed, but can we do it again? I mean, is that okay with you guys? He says, my house will be a house of prayer, and, and you know, we need, your pastor needs prayer, so uh, let's do that. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word's powerful. We're all coming into your house. We want to hear from you. Oh, we've got distractions going on in our lives. Some people are just wore out. They're tired. They're trying to figure things out, and, and Lord, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity for you to speak to us today. Would you please open our eyes to your truth? Lord, we humble ourselves before you. I humble myself before you, and Lord, I know that I'm not the, the most gifted speaker and communicator, but God, I'm a vessel, and I ask that you would simply use me today to encourage and to challenge your church. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 1, I want you to notice John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is the forerunner for Christ, and when he comes on the scene, they're asking him, hey, who are you? Are you the Messiah? He told them plainly, I'm not the Messiah. There's one coming after me that I'm not even worthy to unloosen the straps of his sandals. He says, I'm not the Messiah. Well, the next day, verse 29, if you read with me, it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. John was born before Jesus, and yet he recognized Jesus existed long before John. And he says, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one whom will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this, John's saying, I'm telling you, I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. He is the Son of God. That's pretty confident declaration from John the Baptist, isn't it? All right, this is your opportunity, church. Talk back to me because we're going to be a really boring service if you don't. So uh, that's the, the one extreme, one season. Now turn over to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, I want you to notice um, at this point that the text doesn't tell us this, but the parallel gospel um, in Matthew does tell us that John is in prison by now. Now, just to remind you, Jesus' ministry was three and a half years long, approximately, um, and they believe that John was killed about a year before Jesus was crucified. So that means that John spent most of Jesus' time of ministry, John was already in prison. Some scholars believe he was there well over a year, even up to two years imprisoned. So John's in prison at this time, and his disciples are still loyal to him, and they, they come to John to visit him in prison, and it says they tell John everything that Jesus was doing. Now, what was Jesus doing? Just look back a little bit, and you'll see that he, he heals uh, a demon-possessed man. He casts out a demon. Um, it says he healed many different diseases with a touch of his hand. Uh, it says many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command. It says that he healed a man with leprosy, chapter 5. He heals a paralyzed man. And over in chapter um, 7, the beginning of 7, it says he heals this Roman centurion's or this Roman officer had a son or a, a slave that was sick. And Jesus heals him. And then like the crescendo and all of this great stuff, it says that he raises a widow's son from the dead. That's pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Coming from Jesus. Jesus is doing some great things, and so naturally, the disciples of John want to let John know what Jesus is doing. And so, they go to, G, to, G, or excuse me, to John, and they say everything that Jesus is doing, and listen to John's response. This one in John chapter 1 that was like, I know that he's the one. He's the chosen one of God. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, listen to the question, are you the Messiah? We've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Let's just let that question sink in for a second. John, John chapter 1, this I testify, he is the chosen one of God. He is indeed, in fact, the Messiah. And just a short time later, he's at a point in his life where he's saying, 
Hey, go to the disciples. The disciples go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one that we should be expecting or should we be looking for someone else? And the question is, what happened between those two seasons in John's life? I think the answer to that is, the title of the message is Unmet Expectations. Have you ever had an unmet expectation in life? I mean, you think about it. You've got an expectation. You get into a marriage. You're like, hey, I really expect this marriage is going to be awesome, and this is the perfect mate for me. And you get involved in the marriage, and then in time, you start discovering things about your, your mate that you don't, you don't like, and it's not good. And you're, and you're starting to go, I'm not, this is not what I signed up for, and I've got some unmet expectations on my spouse. Or maybe it's a job situation, you step out, you're like, I'm going to create a business, we're going to start, it's going to, you know, we're going to be awesome and successful, and man, things don't work out like you thought they were, you have some unmet expectations. Maybe it's even in church, I see people that have expectations on church, and they, they go into church hoping that it's going to fix some things, and, and they walk away, like, man, it just didn't feel, it didn't, it didn't fit me, I have these unmet expectations. The problem with unmet expectations is they produce results and they, and they produce these things. And so just like an expectation that is fulfilled would produce what? Joy, happiness, contentment, you know, like, hey, what I expected happened. This is great, right? Well, the same thing is true when you have an expectation that is not met. It can produce things like anger, frustration, disappointment, discouragement, Right? It can even get us to the point, like John, that the things that we were absolutely confident about in the past, we would even enter into this little realm called doubt. And we'd say, you know what? I don't even know if I believe what I used to believe or I'm as confident as I used to be in my faith. And that's exactly where John the Baptist is at. And so let's look at John as he asked the question, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? One of the commentaries I was reading is uh, MacArthur, and he gave four reasons for John's doubt. I'm going to share them with you. And the first one is personal tragedy. So think about this for a moment. John the Baptist was a, a rock star when it came to his mission. He fearlessly proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He came on the scene, and he faithfully and he fearlessly and he selflessly, he says, I must decrease, he must increase. He fulfilled his mission as a prophet of God. But despite these things, John is now in prison. He's got a personal tragedy in his own life. And there in that prison, things are not lining up in his brain. He's thinking, this doesn't make sense, right? I'm faithful to God. I was called. In fact, in his mother's womb, he is filled with the Holy Spirit at the mention of the Messiah, uh, Mary being pregnant with Jesus. I mean, he just comes out of the womb running. I mean, he is the, he's, a, like I said, a rock star when it comes to this prophet. And he's been faithful to God, faithfully proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Prepare you the way of the Lord. He's faithful to him. It doesn't make sense. Why am I in prison? And he must say, well, Jesus is Messiah and he's doing all these miracles. Surely he can spring me from this joint. Surely he could perform that little miracle and get me out of here. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Or how about God's purpose? Why, God, are you letting this happen to me? Have you ever asked that question? In life, you go through a situation like, God, why are you letting me go through this? John certainly did. It seemed inconsistent to him. And I believe that as believers... A personal tragedy for us can cause us to doubt God. It can cause us to get to the point where we say, you know what, this doesn't make sense. I don't even know if I believe any longer. And I think this is the takeaway for us. We need to know. Every situation that believers find themselves in is subject to the sovereign purpose of God. Now listen, we may not understand it. We may not see it. The Bible says his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But we need to understand that everything is under his watchful eye and everything is subject to his sovereign purpose in our lives, even if we think we don't deserve it. God's ways are higher. And, and, I, and I'm always comforted from Romans 8, 28. It says, for we know that God causes all things, say all things, even personal tragedy, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so for John, a personal tragedy was one of the reasons that led to his doubt. And we need to make sure that we, like Job, has this attitude that even though he didn't know exactly what was going on to him in the moment early on when he's going through all of his trials and tribulations, he made this one statement that just blows my mind. He says, even if he slays me, talking about God, even if God slays me, I'm still going to trust him. I love that attitude, don't you? So 
Unmet expectations can lead to doubt. It could be through personal tragedy. We need to make sure that we understand God has a plan and a purpose, even when we don't completely understand it. God, you're still in control. God, you're sovereign, and I just got to trust you in it and through it. Another reason that MacArthur suggests of John's doubt is popular influence. And, you know, in his day, they had all the prophecies of the Messiah. And just like in our day, they tend to focus on the things that they want to see and maybe leave some of the other things overlooked that maybe they need to pay attention to. And no doubt that maybe John was falling victim to that as well. And the contemporary teachers of the time, the Judaism, ignored prophecies of a a suffering servant. And there's prophecies about the Messiah. He's coming and he's going to suffer. Um, Isaiah 53, he took our penalty on him, right? He was bruised. He was beaten for us. And the, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, the suffering servant, right? That's a prophecy about the Messiah. But they would overlook some of those verses and the sin-bearing work of the Messiah. And they would instead hyper-focus on verses like, you know, when Jesus comes, he's going to establish his kingdom. And that sounds really good to me because I'm a Jew and we're in our, our country here and the Romans are taking over. And we want them gone because they're harsh, right? And we're ready for our king to come in and set up his kingdom and kick them out, right? Bring his judgment with him. So those are the prophecies I want to focus on, Right? And so the influence around him at that moment, I believe, also could have got him to where he was just focused on the wrong thing. And if we're not careful, I think that we can get caught up in the popular opinions of our day. There's a lot of people just talk to him about their opinion of who Jesus is or what Jesus does for us. We hear things like, um, Jesus wants me to be happy. Oh, God just wants me to be happy. That's all he wants. He wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. Amen? Amen. Or you say, well, my Jesus is love, and and I just can't see a Jesus who would judge someone for a lifestyle that we may not agree with. I mean, I just don't seem like Jesus would do something like that. We have our opinions of who Jesus is and how Jesus should relate to us, these expectations. And my favorite one is this one, (laughs) and I laugh when I hear it now because I'm like, they've not walked in my shoes, but Jesus won't give me more than I can handle. Oh, how many of you have heard that one? Well, the Bible says God will not give us more than we can handle wrong we just came off of a character study on a man called Daniel let's go back in time and ask Daniel Daniel did God give you more than you could handle when he allowed you to be thrown into a den of hungry lions Daniel would go oh yeah I was in way over my head or how about Shadrach Meshach and Abednego in that same book of Daniel hey hey guys do you think that God gave you more than you could handle that moment he allowed you to be thrown into the fiery furnace Mm mm-hmm Or the children of Israel, when they're hemmed in by the Red Sea on the front of them and mountains on the side and Pharaoh's army is quickly approaching from behind and they're in a a pickle, right? I can just imagine them, hey guys, be calm. God won't give us more than we can handle. No, they're freaking out. And you know, I think this is important for us to realize when we're in those situations, the purpose for us to look at God and go, God, you're the only one that can get me out of this pickle. You're the only one. If it's not, if God had not been on our side, we're doomed. And so we have to be careful that these popular, um, this influence around us doesn't give us a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Illegitimate, unbiblical expectations can only lead to doubt and loss of joy when not met. When we say, you know, I expected Jesus to do this, and, and I've heard everybody else say that's what Jesus does, and it didn't happen, and it can put you in a dark spot. It can steal your your joy. So a third reason for his doubt is incomplete revelation. Now think about this for a second. See, from our perspective, we're sitting here with a complete revelation of God's word. You know, Genesis to Revelation, we get to see the big picture. But from John's perspective, every Jewish person knew the prophecies about the, the Messiah. There were two advents. The Messiah was coming. The first advent of the Messiah was what? Christmas. We celebrate that at Christmas. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And he's going to grow up and he's going to begin his ministry at about 30 years of age. It's going to last about three and a half years. And John is there in that context. So he knows the messianic prophecies about the coming Messiah. And he assumes that the next thing is the the Messiah is coming and he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going to bring judgment on his enemies. And so he didn't have a complete picture. What he missed is what the apostle Paul calls the great mystery. And what we experience today, how many of you are grateful that we are in the church age today? 
Because here's what happens. Jesus comes to his own, presents the gospel, and says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. The gospel is now turned from the the Jews to the Gentiles. Hello, if you are not born into the Jewish um, community and, and heritage there, you are a Gentile. And the gospel's for you. That's good news, right? And so Jesus brings the gospel to the Gentiles. The church is established. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Some great things are happening in this church age, right? There's no longer this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. He's tore it down and now there's just one people and he's our God and we're his children. And we are living in this very unique, privileged position today. Um, And from John's perspective, he just had an incomplete revelation. He didn't see the big picture and I think the same thing is true with us when we don't have a complete revelation it can also lead to doubt in our lives so the cure for doubt is to read to study to understand and to meditate on God's revelation and scripture amen it's like I was raised in some churches and some backgrounds where we would read a verse and it'd be plucked out of context and you can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. But the best interpretation of scripture is more scripture. And so from cover to cover, just reading God's word, the best way to overcome that kind of doubt because of incomplete revelation is to know God's word, what God has revealed of himself to you and to me. Amen? So fourthly, is, and I think is the one that's the most obvious, is just a simply a wrong expectation. Have you ever had a wrong expectation? You were just wrong. You expected something that wasn't promised, and you had your, your hopes built up, and your mind was made up, and you're thinking, okay, I've got these expectations. You're dead wrong, and it doesn't come to pass. You've got this unmet expectation, and it can lead you to some, some deep, dark places. It can lead you to doubt. And John's message of repentance and God's judgment was a continuation of the Old Testament. Malachi closes with God's coming judgment. And so there's 400 years of silence, and all of a sudden that silence is broken by a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And John's message was a message of judgment. He wanted them to know, hey, God is coming. He's bringing his judgment with him. John was a spitfire as a preacher. You guys ought to be lucky. You're like, you think Shane's nice? You're like... Be thankful you don't have John, because John was a, let me tell you what he said. This is pretty cool. In chapter 3, it says, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you that God can create children out of Abraham from these very stones. And listen to this. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised. You imagine being the listeners in his day? (laughs) The axe of God's judgment is poised. It's ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not bear fruit or produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. He was the original Turner Burn preacher. And so he faithfully and boldly proclaimed this message of judgment. Again, he didn't have a complete revelation that we have today. And if you go to Isaiah, the passage in uh, Isaiah 61, when Jesus steps up the, the, the synagogue and they hand him the scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens the scroll and he reads, he's reading from Isaiah this passage, and he finishes reading this passage, and he rolls up the scroll, he hands it back, and he says, this scripture that you just heard has now been fulfilled in your hearing, i.e., I am the Messiah, right? Here's what he read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. Keep in mind, John's in prison. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against his enemies. So John expected the Messiah to free the captive. Uh, John was in prison. Hey, Jesus, free me and to execute judgment on his enemies enemies and then so his disciples come with a message to John saying hey let me tell you what Jesus is doing he's showing compassion he's healing people and John's going wait wait it's not the message I've been preaching something's wrong here right 
John's stuck in prison, and I'm thinking he's going, what gives? His expectation is Jesus as Messiah, Messiah was unmet, and he was in a crisis of his faith, and he sends the disciples to Jesus with this question, are you the one we've been expecting, or should we look for someone else? The things that possibly led John to doubt can also cause us to doubt when we have unmet expectations. But before you get too discouraged, you're thinking, yeah, I'll do that all the time. I feel like a dirt bag, right? Well, it can happen to the best, the best of us, these moments of doubt. Look across the page in Luke. I had you at Luke chapter 7. Look across the page, and Jesus is speaking of John, and it says in verse 28, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. I find encouragement in that. I thought it's going to happen to John and Jesus said, I mean, of all the people that ever lived, nobody's greater than John. Then I have to know that we're also going to struggle with that from time to time. And that leads me to the response of Jesus. So John asked the question. He's struggling with doubt. One extreme to the other. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, let me, before I go forward, let me just say this. I love this idea because when John is having a crisis of his faith, when he's struggling with doubt, he goes to the source. Now, he doesn't physically go because he's in prison, but he sends two of his disciples straight to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, are you the, are you the real one, or shall we be looking for someone else? I think that's encouraging to us that when we struggle in times of doubt, that we go to God and say, God, I'm struggling with my doubt. And we don't go to our friends. I don't know about this faith stuff anymore. I tried church. And all that. No, no, no. Go to the source. God, and he's, he can handle it, okay? Is God, I, I, I want to trust you, but I'm seeing these things go on in my life and I've got these expectations that are unmet and I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm starting to get worried. I'm, I'm starting to doubt a little bit of my faith. God, it's like the guy that said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I'm struggling with my doubt. Church, we need to be encouraged to go to him in those moments, amen? So how does Jesus respond? It says, John's disciples found Jesus and they said to him, John the Baptist sent us, are you the Messiah? So 21, it says, at that very time, some of your versions will say, in that hour, so while they're approaching him, while they're asking him this question, Jesus is performing miracles. It says Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he re restored sight to many who were blind. I love this. I, I just see this as uh, the, just the mercy, the tender tenderness of, of Christ to say, you know what? Let me validate the question with the miracles. Let me let them see what I'm doing, and that's going to help them answer that question. And the reason I think it's cool is because earlier on, the, the Pharisees demanded of Jesus, show us a sign, prove you're the Messiah. And he's like, a wicked generation demands a sign. He didn't give them what they were asking for. But in this case, to John's disciples, he said, watch this. And he's doing all these miracles, right? And then he turns to the disciples and he says, now go back and tell John. Tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. Everything he's doing is this little snippets from Isaiah. All of them are messianic prophecies. I am the Messiah. Go tell him what you saw. Notice what Jesus didn't tell them to tell John. Remember that Isaiah 61 passage about the prisoners being set free and God bringing his judgment to? He left that part out. Translation, John you're not going to be freed from this prison. I know you're expecting that, but it's not going to happen for you. And so he gives them this one last sentence as a beatitude to share with John, and I think it's important for us to get it too. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Another translation says, God blesses those who are not offended by me. And James, you've got this expectation, and it's going to go unmet. You're not getting out of this prison, and, and James God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. Don't be offended when you don't get what you're expecting. God blesses those who are not offended by me. The question for us, I think, that we have to ask ourselves when we come to God with all these expectations, and we do, um, we, we expect God to do so many different things. And we hear things in our, our, our culture and even churches that will say, you know, God wants you to be happy, wealthy, rich, prosperous, and all this stuff. And I'm not saying that God can't do those things or that he doesn't do those things. But when we come with those expectations as our primary expectations and we see those things go unmet, 
then it can, it can lead us to a very dark place. And the question I have is this, and I have to ask myself the question, Shane, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? If he never did anything else for me in this life, is the gospel of Jesus Christ enough for me? Is what he did on the cross enough? And I, I gotta tell you, it's more than enough. When you consider the gospel and the fact that we are sinners and the wages of sin is death and we deserve the, the, the absolute worst that hell has to offer and the good news is that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that he offers us a rescue and a salvation. That's good news, right? And I'm thinking, God, if you don't do anything else for me, if I don't live to be you know, prosperous or healthy or popular or whatever, none of that matters to me. I mean, of course we do in the flesh. We want to see things, but at the end of the day, Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. Here's a question for you to ponder. I think the way you answer this question will help you see if your expectations are uh, realistic or maybe misguided somewhat. Ask yourself the question, if the gospel actually worked in my life, what would it look like? If the gospel actually worked for me in my life, what would that look like? Would I be healthy? Would I be successful? I mean, what would it look like? What are your expectations of God? And let me tell you this, waiting on God to do what he's never promised will lead to a dark place in your life. Amen? We go through a difficult situation in life. God, you did. God's like, don't, don't blame me for that. It's an expectation that you had. And waiting on God to do what he's not promised can lead us to a dark place. The question is, is Jesus enough? Is the gospel enough? It reminds me of a, of a I need to share this um, story that just kind of relates to this very well, is the story of the man on the airplane. The man's flying on the airplane, and a flight attendant comes to the man, and he says, hey, listen, I got this parachute. I want you to put it on. Man, pick it up, put it on, because when you put it on, your life's going to be better. Your flight is going to be great. You're going to experience a, a really nice flight. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Man, just put on the parachute. So the man takes him at his word. He puts the parachute on, and he's riding. And all of a, all of a sudden, he starts realizing this thing's getting kind of heavy, and my back's kind of hurting because I'm bent over, kind of funny. And, you know, hit a little turbulence every once in a while, and it's just more painful. And I look across the aisle, and now people are laughing at me. And I, and I had some expectations. I was told, and it didn't turn out like that. And so in frustration and anger and disappointment, even doubt, I take the parachute off, and I throw it on the floor. I'm done with that. A couple minutes later, another flight attendant comes by, picks up the parachute, hands it to me, and says, hey, um, I just talked to the, the pilot in the cockpit, and he's informed me that this plane is having some serious major mechanical malfunctions. And it's only a matter of time before this thing's going to fall out of the sky. And he's informed me to tell you to put on the parachute because in a moment he's going to open the door, and he's going to give you the opportunity to jump, and that parachute will save your life. I mean, no, that's the true purpose of the gospel. Because one day, this world that we live in is going to come to an end, like a plane that's just coming out of the sky. And the gospel, the good news is that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The door opens, and we put on that parachute of the gospel in fullness of faith, knowing this is going to do it. This is going to take care of me. Listen, and let, me, let me just tell you, this is me. And when I jump out, I ain't going to jump out and start flapping my, my arms like a bird too, Right? i got to help it out. No, it's, it's, it's by grace that we're saved. It's the work of God, amen? And I'm fully, confidently trusting in him and expecting in him that the gospel works, the parachute works. For us, you know what I think we should do? Get to know the parachute, you know? Like, I'm inspecting, like, where are the instructions? I want to know when to pull the, the ripcord. You know, I want to know how far I need to be away. I want to know, you know, how this thing works, how to strap it up. I don't want to mess up, right? You only get one shot. And then when you hit turbulence in life, what do you do? Instead of anger and frustration, it just you cling even tighter to that hope. Amen? That we have in the gospel. You're like, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you. So the question is, have you put on the parachute? Are you trusting in him for salvation? What are your expectations? Jesus, I expect that what you did on the cross 2,000 plus years ago was enough. And I've put my hope and my trust in you. And if you never do anything else for me in my entire life, but give me eternity with God in heaven after this life, that's more than enough. 
Have you put on the parachute? Have you trusted God for salvation? The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is what do you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And here's the beautiful thing. That parachute's for everyone. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's willing that none should perish, right? Here's another question. Christian, are you offended at God because of an unmet expectation? Hey, we can admit it. I've been offended at God before. Pray for something that doesn't come to pass. And I, I read that book of James letter, you know, the one he says, when you ask, you ask with wrong motives for your own selfish desires. I'm thinking, ah, got me there, right? And I'm mad because he didn't do what I thought he should do. Have you ever been offended at him? Are you offended at him today? Maybe some of you are like, Shane, I've been through some stuff, and I'm questioning right now whether I even believe. And I'm, I'm kind of mad. At, I've heard people say, I'm mad at God right now. I'm mad. Can I just tell you, church, when we have an unmet expectation, those unmet expectations are not because God failed us, but because our expectations did. God never fails us. His love never fails. Aren't you thankful for that? There's nowhere we can go. I mean, he says, no, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I'll tell you something else that never fails. And we put our hope in is his promises never fail. Listen, he'll never break a promise that, um, that he, <clears throat> how do I write this? He never makes a promise that he does not keep. He's the ultimate promise keeper, amen? He's not gonna break his promises. We can trust him. He is sovereign. He's in control. No matter what personal tragedies come our way, no matter what the influence around us or the incomplete revelation of all the things that we, we should know, or no matter whether they're, they're just wrong expectations, God is in control and we can trust him. And let me just tell you right now, I can say with 100% conviction in my heart, as Paul said, I know whom I have believed in and I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. My heart, my salvation, right? That I've committed to him against that day. You know what that tells me? The parachute works. The gospel works. That, my friends, is an expectation that will not lead to an unmet expectation. It'll lead to much joy on the day when Christ is revealed to the world. Amen? Amen? And what do you say to that? What do you say to that? Whew. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your gospel. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you loved us enough to reveal yourself to us. Lord, and honestly, we can admit that sometimes we have these expectations of you that are um, just wrong expectations. Maybe we've heard some things and we've believed that as truth and we read your scripture and find out, oh, we're just taking things out of context to just benefit us or to tickle our ears. Lord, I pray that we would have an absolute revelation of who you are, knowing, Father, that when we have unmet expectations, it's not because you failed us, so that we should never get bitter towards you or offended at you because of unmet expectations. But Lord, we know that possibly those expectations were the reason for the failure. And Father, I just ask that you would encourage those today that are going through difficult situations. Maybe they're wrestling with it today. Maybe there's someone here today that has not placed their faith in you yet and they got expectations and they're using that to, to kind of keep you at a distance. I pray that today they would realize this, the absolute purpose for which you came was to seek and to save the lost. And the most important decision they'll make is to trust you for salvation. Lord, I pray that today is the day that they trust you, that they take up that parachute of the gospel and they trust in you for salvation. Lord, for those that are struggling and those that are hurting and those that are offended or discouraged or struggling with doubt, God, I pray that we would get a fresh revelation today of who you are and how faithful you are. Lord, that we wouldn't take out our frustrations and our disappointments on you or target them at you. But Father, that we would see you for who you are and your love, your compassion, your mercy. And when we go through difficult seasons in life, that we wouldn't turn away, but we would turn to you even more hanging on tighter to that gospel that we hope in. And God, I just say thank you. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you're no respecter of persons. Thank you that you're willing that none should perish, but all come to repentance. Thank you that whosoever 
So call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, I thank you for the gospel. It's more than enough. Be glorified in our lives today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.